before we get going, here's the bit where I remind you that nothing we discussed during the end game should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets. And now, on with the show. Well, welcome everybody to another edition of The Endgame. We have uh, another very special guest joining us uh, shortly, but before that, uh, it falls on me to introduce my partner in crime here, the great Bill Fleckenstein. Hi, mate. Mate, how are you this wonderful day after Thanksgiving? Day after Thanksgiving, yes. Coma day, as, uh, <laughs> as it's generally referred to, I believe. Food coma. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, Bill, you know, we, we have uh, our mutual friend Fred Hickey joining us in a moment. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I think no matter which way we go with this, this endgame discussion, it feels to me that somehow, some way, gold has a role in the endgame, whatever it may be, whether it's as a temporary stabilizing measure, whether it's as a, a return to a currency, whatever it may be, it's going to play a role in the transition from the now to the then, I think. Because one of the unwritten premises that created the discussion of what will the end game be is because it is a consequence of the um, abject lunacy or recklessness that has gone on uh, for, for at least 20 years by these activist central banks. And if the thing, the medium that they created, sorry, the, the medium that they debased by all their, you know, uh, um, money printing, um, it, it would almost seem like something that's a monetary asset that cannot be treated that way ought to have some role or ought to be some beneficiary in the transition process. So I don't see how gold won't be part of it somehow. You know, Bill, I, I've been subscribing to the high tech strategies for a, a long time. Fred's Fred's newsletter it is by far and away, the single greatest value for money anywhere on the planet Earth, I, I reckon. I couldn't agree more. Um, um, I, I'm always fond of telling the story that when I first bumped into Fred in 1995-ish, the high-tech strategist was a whopping $90. And in after reading it maybe once or twice and talking to him, I said, Fred, you got to raise the price of this thing. It's ridiculous. I mean, how anyone can can, can be involved in finance and not spend the $100 and change it is up to now um, is mind-boggling to me. And, and, and so one of the things that always drives me crazy on Twitter is, um, you know, there's a lot of jerks on Twitter, but there's also a lot of people who are trying to pass along thoughtful information, which Fred does from, from time to time. And I see these, I see complete knuckleheads attacking him they don't have any idea of the amount of work behind the thought. You know, they're not just, he's not shooting from the hip as most of them are. And so maybe we'll be able to get into a little of that as we, as we uh, go through this. Yeah. Well, and if, if we are going to talk about gold um, and, and get into the gold stocks, for my mind, there is nobody better uh, to do that with than our guest today. So why don't we welcome the great Fred Hickey to the show. In a normally functioning world at this point in the show, you'd be hearing a conversation between Bill, Fred and I. However, as you will hear as we get into this show proper, we had some technical audio issues this week. And part of that is we lost, unfortunately, the first, I don't know, 10 minutes or so of our conversation with Fred. But what we spoke about is something very dear to Bill and I's hearts and something we really wanted 
to make sure people understood. And that is the process that Fred goes to uh, in his in his in putting the high tech strategist letters together, and also his history really of how he got to where he is. Um, and Bill, you know, I know this is something that you've spoken to him at length about. And it's something you wanted to make sure we touched on. Touched on it, we did, but um, we lost the audience. So I'm hoping that you and I can really be proxies for Fred and fill people in on what we talked about because I think it is important. Uh, well, I do too. And um, as you noted, it's one of the things that I felt was important that I did not think very many people appreciated. Uh, having sort of talked to him basically every day for 25 years, yeah. uh, I'm intimately aware of the amount of effort that goes into the newsletter. And I thought that people really needed to understand that to appreciate what a sort of um, resource he is and his letter is. And so I'm going to try to paraphrase what he said. I'm not going to do as good of a job. But I started off by asking him how the high-tech strategist wound up uh, so heavily invested in gold mining right. stocks. It, it doesn't seem obvious at first. And his answer, his detailed answer was it came about uh, because of what happened as the, as the stock bubble ended and money printing began, although it was kid stuff relative to now. And his and this thinking- this back in of, 2000, right? Yes. Uh, And he 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 uh, mentioned that the first gold, the first one of his letters, he really discussed gold in some detail was in the summer of 2001, I believe. And it was pretty near the low. He's basically caught the entire move, but that was not the point of it. It was he his detailed bottom up analysis that he gets from doing so much research each month, combined with the overview that that research um, uh, yields. And he noted, for instance, it was Thanksgiving day, uh, the day after Thanksgiving, when we did this and on Thanksgiving day, he listed the six conference calls and he shared with us a nugget he picked up from the Hewlett Packard call about printing supplies, um, being, um, in surplus, a a tiny indicator that maybe the economy is not as good as some people think. And I re- remember over the years, he was he would always pull a nugget out of some odd place. Like he listened to a steel case call because there's something had something to do with furniture, which impacted something else. And he was always coming up with this, these sorts of things. And he said to us, and there, I think there's a snippet of it we still have left, where he noted that it, oftentimes he'll end up with 600 to 900 pages of notes that he accumulates yeah. daily in the lead up to writing the letter. Yeah. And then he said the letter kind of writes itself, which is, um, you know, maybe partially true. Not, nothing ever writes itself. But uh-huh. in any case, um, I remember there would be day, there would be times that we'd be talking back in the mania for the, either one of the two manias. And he would say, listen to this. And he'd drop what sounded like a big phone book on the desk. And you hear this stud. And he says, that's my stack of notes from this, getting ready for this call. And then he has to file them all away. The point being that he's incredibly methodical and doesn't miss much of anything. So it's not just like, uh, he, he just kind of scratched around and, 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 uh, you know, likes these mining stocks. He's done deep dives in them as he does in tech stocks and listens to, uh, uh, countless numbers of, of, um, of conference calls 
as well as reading other things to, to, to accumulate the body of knowledge that he has to make, come up with the ideas that, that he, that he comes up with. So I did a poor job of, of, of describing as accurately as he did, but at least that'll give a flavor of what he goes through. So people can really appreciate because today people see all kinds of folks on Twitter popping off about this, that, the other thing. And it's not easy to tell, well, who really did some in-depth research and who's shooting from the hip. And one thing's for sure, Fred doesn't shoot from the hip. No, yeah, you know, it's, uh, I think you did a great job actually putting it together because I, I was blown away that six to nine, and you'll hear me reference this in the, in the podcast proper when, I, when I'm just agog at how he distills his work down the way he does. But the other thing that he spoke about, um, which really hit home to me when we, when we talked about what took him from technology stocks to gold stocks, and, and Fred elaborated very clearly, as he always does, that at the end of that mania in 2000, 2001 through beginning 2002 he saw that the only solution to this was going to be money printing and so what he wanted to do was protect his wealth he'd, he'd, he'd spend a lot of time working hard through the, the tech bubble to make that money he caught the top he, he captured it he monetized it and he wanted to protect it from what he saw as malfeasance and what he saw as constantly skyrocketing deficits the debt going to expand and that was really what led him to gold stocks it was a it was a very long-term view that he took back then, it was, a, it was a 20, 30, who knew, 40 year view he took that this is going to be my problem. And he identified that the gold stocks, not only would they protect him from that, but they were beaten down as hell because nobody had felt they needed protection for the last you know, 25 years almost, since the, since, well, I guess it's the late 70s, early 80s. So that, that, that long-term framework within which he, t- he trades backwards and forwards and, and looks to time the market, um, but all around a core position, I think was a very important thing for people to understand that, that at its core, the, the, the gold miner part of Fred's portfolio is a very long-term secular position that he has that serves a purpose. It's not, a, not necessarily a trading vehicle. This is to protect the money he's made against all the things that we've identified in previous podcasts. So that was the other thing that, that really struck home with me because when you think of it that way, I find it makes it much easier to deal with the peaks and troughs that you get along the way emotionally. Yeah, I completely agree with you about that. Okay, well, there we, we've, 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 we've tried to fill in for Fred. <laughs> That's the best way. And Fred, when you listen to this, we're so sorry we, we, we took the words out of your mouth. But rather than make you do it all again, we figured we'd try and half-ass it ourselves. So with all that being said, let's return to our regularly scheduled programming. Uh, Fred, there's, there's there's so much that I want to I want to talk to you about because it, it is you know it's it's a, it, the high tech strategist is a remarkable letter and and it's even more remarkable when you understand the level of work you go to because um, you know I, I I've I've mentioned this quote before but there's someone I think it was Blaise Pascal I'm not sure but someone once said um, I would have written you a shorter letter but I didn't have time and and there's a real <laughs> art to taking 900 pages that that you do, you know, six to 900 pages, and distilling it into something so dense, and but yet so readable. You know, that that is an incredible skill because every word in the high-tech strategist is important. And I sit and read it as soon as I get it every month. And it's so dense. I mean, it really is. How, how do you go about, you know, kind of reducing all that information to such a an impressively rich kernel of information? I can't do it. 
would be easy. I mean, actually, the newsletter sometimes is ends up being 13 pages and not eight. And then I have to cut it back, cut it back, cut it back to the most uh, important information. Uh, but I also have an idea of what people really need to hear. Well, I, I have an idea of who my subscribers are. Yeah. Uh, they generally don't leave. They've been <laughs> they've been with me for a long, long time. And so, I, I you know, I'm not... Uh, uh, my followers aren't momentum, trend followers, that kind of thing. They're value investors and uh, they're investors. They probably invested in gold. Some of them may be short in the market because they don't, they don't trust the value of the insane valuations that we have today. So I know what they're, so I know what they, another thing is I'm in, I'm in there with them too. Yeah. What would I want to, what do I, what would I need to know to get me through this difficult month, say, for example, or what should I be doing? So here we are with the market. Maybe maybe things are undervalued. Well, I need to explain why. I need to need to explain why things. Um, and so, how do I go about do that? Well, when I'm going through that two day process of going through those notes, I'm thinking about that, and I'm thinking, well, this is an important point. This is an important point. This is an important point. And when the time I finally get down to writing it, I know really what I want to say. And and then and then it, it gets edited and condensed, and and that's the, the final product. And it works, I think. It, yeah. Certainly the subscribers keep coming back each year and that's about all that comes, I guess. Given the fact that we're having this conversation the day after Thanksgiving, as you noted yesterday was Thanksgiving, um, uh, um, there's been obviously a big correction in the price of, of gold and the mining stocks, the things that you and I and Grant all care about, and I think a lot of people would too. Um, so how, where do you think we are um, in the in the... Obviously, the gold market is a difficult market to, to, to develop a real edge in. When you were, you know, I remember when in the back in the day when I was short and, and and you were, you know, buying puts and we were battling things. It was always possible to try. It was often possible to triangulate on who might be next blowing up by putting the pieces together as you did. And you could you could kind of feel like you could get an edge. One of the problems with the gold market is being at its. I mean, there is supply and demand fundamentals, of course, price and 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 cost of goods, uh, cost of production. But it's a, a macro market; and it's hard to develop an edge. But you still have to have some idea of where we are and why we're there. So maybe I, uh, you could explain. You know, we've had this big correction, and who knows why? And where do we go from here in the gold market? Uh, might please share your opinion about that. Mm -hmm. Well. <clears throat> So we had a huge run this year. Um, you know, we started at fifteen hundred dollars, I guess, in gold, uh, and we went up to <clears throat> almost twenty one hundred dollars. And there's a number of things I watch, and uh, I watch sentiment indicators. Uh, and I note, noted that by August, by July, August, um, sentiment had gotten a bit extreme. The articles in the newspapers were bullish on gold. Um, you had Bank of America Merrill Lynch putting out $3,000 target prices for gold. Uh, the, um, the BPGDM, which is the uh, bullish gold miners percentage index, which is an indication more of not so much a sentiment index, but it was it's a measure, measure of how overbought and how oversold gold stocks are that hit 100%. So I knew, I, I sensed that uh, we were likely due for a correction at that time. And I actually tweeted that out of that uh, in July, July 23rd, that um, uh, that I was expecting a correction, and uh, that I've been turning that I was trimming back positions in my in my minor positions, 
and hopefully they hadn't trimmed the back too far. And I and then I said the same thing in the August letter. So I was trimming back at that point. And that's sort of what I try to do um, when things seem to be uh, overvalued and overloved. Then uh, then I um, then I'll trim back these positions. And then when they're hated, which is about where we are right now, then uh, then I uh, then I add back to positions and I, I dribble in, as I say. So. Um, and I've been doing that for some time. In the in 2011, I had pulled back. I had trim positions in 2011, and I did so again in 2012. And because same thing, we had uh, excessive sentiment. The market was over, overextended in gold, um, and uh, and then I I dribbled back in. Now that went on longer than I thought it would. It went deeper than I thought it would. It's hard to predict what a gold price will do. Uh, it's hard to measure. There are ways I try to measure it uh, as to whether it's undervalued or overvalued. But um, but it goes in, in swings, these great swings. Uh, and um, um, so 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 I pulled back. Uh, I started buying back in, dribbling in, and I've been doing so little by little. And I also know that I never can, I never go on margin debt um, because price, I've seen prices go anywhere and any, you know, these tech stocks, uh, in 2000, they can go to crazy levels and they've done the same again. So, um, and, and, uh, so I, so anything can happen in the short run in the gold market, but understand that I know that I need to be there to protect the, my, my wealth. It's a, one thing gold does is it's, uh, it's a storage of wealth. And, uh, so I, on the edges, now, long, my biggest core position remains intact all along. And I know that's the case with you too, as Bill. And it's for the same reasons. It's because these central bankers are out of control um, and the governments are out of control too with their fiscal spending. So I need to protect myself against the debasement that's going on. Uh, so I keep the core position, but then I have this, this little call a trading position that I'll, that I'll uh, go back and forth with. And so currently I'm in a buying, I've been buying again. Now, I kind of thought that the market uh, had been washed out after three months of a correction, and we're now in four months, but after three months, so a month ago, I thought that we had, we had washed out uh, all the weak hands. The uh, DSI went to 16, it's daily sentiment index for gold, it's very low. Uh, historically, when you get down to around 20, I mean, throughout the 2000s gold bull market, if you look, every time it got to around 20, you would have rallies. So I went down to 16, um, sentiment was much more negative, and I thought that we were there. We kind of broke through some technical levels to the upside. We had gone through 1900, then 1930 was important. We went to 1950. I kind of thought that that was it. That was the end of it. What's happened since is that we had the vaccine news, and that came in three consecutive weeks. First it was Pfizer, then it was Moderna, then it was, then it was AstraZeneca, and each time we've been... Uh, there's been a group of traders, futures traders, who have been hammering gold on that news. Uh, and uh, so we've been, it's been pretty tough the last couple of weeks. So today, this is uh, the day after Thanksgiving, which is a short day in the markets, uh, these traders, these speculators, uh, and we're talking, I know who's doing this. Um, these people manage hundreds of billions of dollars in money and uh, what they try to do is, is they, they're trend followers and the momentum followers, but they also like to try to break chart points. 
So today we were sitting just above the 200-day moving average on gold, which is around $1,800 an ounce. And it was a nice short day, low volatility, perfect for them to try to break that 200-day. And, and they did this morning. And I went down $30 here to 1770, 1780, something like that. And I look, what's interesting about today is, is that the miners aren't going along with this, this game. Right. Uh, you have Agni go up 32 cents and you have you have Newmont up and Kirkland is up. These are the, these are some of the majors and they're all up today, yet gold is down $20 right now. Uh, that might be telling us uh, once again that mm. uh, we, we're hitting a bottom. Uh, I know the DSI last I looked was 20. Uh, I imagine today it will be lower, it'll be in the teens somewhere. It tells you we're close to being at a bottom. That BPGDM, the gold miners bullish percent in, index is at 30s. Uh, you know, the RSI is low. It, it, it looks like it's washed out. Um, and uh, I also know that even though we're not, uh, we don't have any stimulus going right now, we will. And it's only a matter of time. Uh, there, uh, the, uh, when Biden gets in, and maybe before, um, there, the, there'll be uh, an agreement between uh, Congress and the new president that uh, we're going to have a huge stimulus. And that should be bullish for gold. One of the tough things about this correction is, and especially today for an example, is that it looks like gold, it's a perfect environment for gold. We have $17.5 trillion of sovereign bonds that are negative right now. Real, real rates uh, in the US and the rest of the world are negative. And that means that inflation is higher than the yields you're gonna get. Now, Fed suppressing rates at zero percent, uh, so you have zeros all the way up to you know you'll get one and a half percent, one point six percent in the thirty year, but you know under one in the in the uh, in the ten year, and you've got inflation that's a lot higher than that, so you have negative real rates. That's a perfect environment for gold. Gold usually does well at that time. Uh, you also have this uh, uh, this uh, appointment of uh, Janet Yellen, who's an Uber dove and an activist. And she's going to be head of the treasury, uh, working with Powell, who is also a dove. These these are these are the most bullish in, uh, conditions you possibly could for gold could have for gold. Yet it's going down. Well, it's going down because fundamentals don't matter in the short term. What matters is that there are these huge funds that are pushing gold around and uh, and trying to break chart points. And when they do that, they try to scare people and they stampede them out of their positions. So what I try to do is I buy when there's, well, I mean, look, what does Warren Buffett say? Be, uh, be yeah. greedy when people are fearful, right? Well, I try to be greedy when people are fearful. They're fearful now, they weren't in August. Uh, so I dribble in. I know that it could go lower. Uh, since we broke the 200 day moving average today, it's possible it goes lower. I don't know how low it can go. Uh, there are various ways to look at valuing the gold price. Uh, um, you know, there's a pretty good correlation between the budget deficits, U.S. budget deficits, and the price of gold. If you look at that, um, they were they were they were holding together pretty nicely until recently, when the budget deficits wild. If you if you if gold continued at that rate, um, at the pace it was, the deficits you'd have $3,300 gold. For for example, uh, you know, there's a Dow to gold ratio. Well, that's been as low as one uh, in the 1980s at the top, um, early 1980. Well, we're 15 or 16 now. It's uh, it's uh, it indicates that gold is likely uh, undervalued relative to the stock market. Um, there, 
there's uh, the value of U.S. gold reserves as a percentage of the monetary base. Well, that's almost near a record low, 10%. In 1980, it was 112%. Um, so gold looks to be undervalued, but it doesn't matter in the short run when the manipulators are playing the games. Uh, now, what happens is, is that you can see this in man what they call managed money, and I watched that very closely in the COT report. And right now, they're at low positions. They have a net long position that's 60 plus percent below where it was earlier this year, which indicates that they built up their shorts and they've reduced their longs as they have been knocking the price down. And, and I would love to be able to see what it is today. We usually yeah. have T reports on Friday, <laughs> but because of the holiday here, we're not going to get it until Monday. And I suspect we'll be, you know, down into the, you know, just maybe 30 or 40,000 contracts at this point, based upon all the pushing that's been going on in the last several days. Um, which is a very low level. And when that happens, they're, they're all, they are always, always wrong at turning points. So they always, so at the bottom in 2015, they had a negative, a, a short position. At the top in 2016 and 2011, they were, in, they were heavily, heavily long. Well, right now they're, they're, they're underweighted. So, uh, so I think that we're getting close here. I never know for sure um, it's a good sign that these miners are digging in as well as they are today. And, yeah. and hopefully we'll see some, and gold has come back quite a bit, and hopefully we'll see a turn, turning back point, uh, you know, one of those intraday reversals that brings you back above the 200-day moving average, then I'll know a little bit better. You know, um, this is a really good point you make, Fred, is um, after I just alluded or discussed the fact that being a macro object like gold, it's, 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 there's not very many times you can get an edge. But one of the things that has worked quite well is when there have been days like this, assuming the day finished like this, and it may not, when gold's getting hammered and it's been in a long decline, you know, pretty violent decline, hasn't been that long. But, um, and then the miners dig in, oftentimes that is a pretty good signal and when you marry that up with the DSIs are and, and what we'll find out about from the Commitment to Traders report, um, the, the, this is one of the things you can put together to try to get your arms around what might be a good time in such, a, it cracks me up that you know you, you, we've been discussing and actively following the gold market for a long time. And one thing we know is we can't out trade it very well. And all, all these other people I see that, that think they can get every squiggle on something that has where you don't have an edge. But anyway, my point in bringing that up is it's, this might be one of the few times when you can put a package together of data and say, yeah, this might be a really good opportunity. Well, I think you can at, the, at those points. You just never know if it's going to continue further. I mean, in 2015, right. I put everything in, right? At the end of that, I put everything I had into the goal. I am so certain that it was there. Um, I, I didn't know if it would go lower. It could have, it didn't. And that was uh, of course, I put it in over time too. But by the end, I had pretty much everything. Um, and, and and so there are times here, and it's sentiment. Sentiment's so important. I know you have your hate mail indicator. Well, today, for example, uh, you know, I, I talked to some very veteran, multi-decade hedge fund managers, and I'm getting calls this morning. I'm trying to prepare a little bit for this. I'm getting calls this morning. They need their handheld. Um, and when it gets to this point, usually it's telling me that. We're near a bottom. These guys are hard as rocks. They will, I know they won't break, but they just need a little bit of support. And they know if they come to me, I'll, I'll give them you know, my non-emotional position about it and, and, and helps them 
uh, in these difficult times. But when I'm hearing from them, it tells me that's another sign, sentiment. I mean, it's, you could say the DSI is a Tony. It's another thing to to hear, see all the emails and get the phone calls and everything else. Uh, and, and that tells me too. So, like I said, I have this core position and but this trading position, you can, you can, you can at least get a good sense that you're going to be close. Uh, you never know for sure. And that's why I never put all my money in. I always make sure I have plenty of cash. I don't go on margin. I always have plenty of cash. I have plenty of cash right now. If this market goes further, um, I put quite a bit in from that, from what I had sold. But I look back in, in, in 2011 when the goal was 1900. And uh, and, that, and then I, I saw when we were back at 1900, 10 years later, uh, almost, uh, and I looked at my portfolio and I said, gee, I've made a lot of money over that time. And I was up quite a bit. And the reason is, is, is that I've taken advantage of the times when people were at maximum pessimism, which is what John Templeton talks about. And then I've sold some, trimmed back uh, at maximum greed. And so, so it works over time. This is a long term, this is a 12 for me, it's a 20 year trade. Yeah. And I think it's a 20 year secular bull market and we have had cyclical corrections in the midst of it. And unfortunately I have to still be in this market this way in the gold market. I'd rather be doing 100% tech, but um, I, have to, I have to protect myself against undisciplined fiscal spending. And budget deficits. I have to protect the same things I talked about in, in 2002. I have to protect myself against uh, people flooding, I mean, the Federal Reserve flooding the system with money. And it's not just the Federal Reserve, it's every major central bank in the world. They're all doing it at the same time. They're colluding. And it's one of the reasons why it's gone on so long is that uh, usually if you go back in the past, uh, one currency would break. The one that was doing, the one was that was being undisciplined. But because they're all colluding, they don't fall against each other. They only right. fall against gold and silver. That's, and that's why I have to remain in this trade. So I trade around the positions uh, when I see, I don't, I don't try to get the tops, I don't try to get the bottoms because it's impossible. All I wanna do is to be able to buy more when they're lower and sell more when they're higher. And in the end, and I looked at it after the 10 years, gee, I'm doing pretty well at doing that. Even so trading it within this long-term bull market that I have to keep to protect my wealth. People forget, partially because most people look at the stock market as a market, and, and we all know the reasons why it's distorted. But in some ways, the, the gold market is still a real market. It's not, it's, not, does, it's not being administered to by the Fed and doesn't have all the crazy things that are going on in the stock market. And I'm reminded that oftentimes, when you have a setup that looks as good as the one that you just described for a backdrop that would be good for metals, Sometimes right before you're going to get a great run, you have some perverse market reaction in the other direction. So if it were to turn out that this was a low, and given the the likelihood of the friendliness of the Obama administration, sorry, the Biden administration and the Fed, it, it it wouldn't be unprecedented if we had this you know this smackdown right here right now right in front of that. So every time you always have to wash out. Any of the weekends, and that's what this kind of trading activity does. I mean, I don't like the fact that these big funds are, you know, pushing the price around. They can in the short term, they can do that in the short term, but in a way, it's it benefits me, um, and it does wash out people. And I think that's where we are. I mean, it's been day after day after day, grinding, grinding, grinding. Right. Uh, it, it wears on them. I I hear that, and uh, and then you get a day like this when the dollar is down. The dollars, they can't figure it out. The dollar is down, Yellen's here, everything, they're gonna be printing. Right. 
<laughs> I can't figure it out. And, it's so perverse. And after like 10 days of getting pounded, they give up. Yeah. And so at that point, there's no one else left to sell. And that may be why the miners are up today. There's no one left to sell and, and you've, you've hit bottom, maybe. But I know not to put everything all in because <laughs> it may not be either. Um, and I, you know, I mentioned that the other thing too is, is that uh, this is a true store of value. I, I don't like to talk about Bitcoin very much, but because, I, because one of the arguments here is that, that Bitcoin is a new gold. You know, I just can't buy that. I, when I see that, you know, I know these same money managers have been pushing up Bitcoin as well um, because they're momentum traders. But I look at it and I say, you know, one of, there's two arguments I think that, that for Bitcoin. One is portability. And the other one is it's supposed limited amount of um, amount of Bitcoin available. But I look at the 7,800 different cryptocurrencies there and almost every one of them looks exactly like Bitcoin. They're all up a lot. They've all crashed. I mean, Bitcoin crashed about $2,000 over the last couple of days. Uh, they all crashed at the same time. They're all up at the same time that fuel cells are being, companies are being bought and electronic, electric vehicles are being bought crazily and marijuana stocks. They're speculative object. That's, they go with speculation. The more speculative it is, it seems like that's the time for Bitcoin. Gold, on the other hand, doesn't do well in speculative moments. You don't need gold at that point when there's euphoria. It is a store of value. Uh, and, and as far as the portability, well, it does have an advantage over gold, but, uh, you know, I could always transfer my assets into Bitcoin if I had to leave the country, heaven forbid. I mean, I don't see that happening, but if I had to, I could do that. Or better yet, I could put it into digital gold and then, and then uh, you know, get it, get it transported to, to wherever my destination country. And I'm not thinking that's going to happen in any, 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 any time, but that's the only time I would need portability. And I, I you know, it just doesn't, it's just, uh, so this whole argument that gold is dead, we're hearing that all the time. Bitcoin, you know, I'm being told this on Twitter and everywhere else, you know, the world has passed you by, you don't understand, blah, 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 blah. Uh, you know, this is the new, this is the new thing, and it's the new technology. And I just look at it and I say, no, I mean, I, I don't buy, I don't buy into nothingness. I don't even know who the founder of this thing was. I know who some of the charlatans that are behind it. Uh, you have the Winklevi and you have the, you have uh, McAfee and these guys and it's a very tiny market. I mean, you're talking $350 billion for Bitcoin. And that's the size of NVIDIA, just NVIDIA, all right? 350 billion. But there's all these other, all of these other ones as well. I mean, Ethereum's 67 billion and XRP is 31 billion. They're putting it in any of this stuff that they can. It's not just Bitcoin, it's unlimited. And then they can do forks. Number, the number five largest one is Bitcoin Cash. The right. number 12 biggest is Bitcoin SV. There is no limit to these things. And if Bitcoin got too expensive, they would just go to another one. Uh, and, and so this argument that there's a limit to Bitcoin, no. These are speculators, they're piling into anything that's cryptocurrencies and, and all of them. Um, and you know, 10 year history versus 5,000 year history for gold. Uh, gold being used in all cultures uh, as a store of value and as jewelry for, for thousands of years. And independently they, they, came upon, they came upon gold because of its various uh, perfect almost uh, um, uh, criteria that it has that you know it's durable, it's uh, it can't be destroyed, all of those. But it has another thing that gold that gold has another thing that Bitcoin doesn't have, and that's the allure. Uh, you know, put a Bitcoin in your hand. What do you have? You know, I'm anything. Put a put a shiny gold coin in your hand. 
Now, there's a reason why people have been chasing gold for all these years. And, and that's the reason why. I mean, you're not going to adorn around the world. Women are not going to adorn themselves with bitcoins. They will adorn themselves with gold because of its beauty. There's real intrinsic value there. And with a Bitcoin, I'm not guarantee. I, I just, I don't know. I, it's just a digital number that can easily be hacked. We, if you're in a digital exchange, we've lost billions of dollars in, in these various ex coin exchanges that have been lost. If you lose your key, your digital key, which many people have done and they've lost billions there, it's gone forever. You'll never get it back. Uh, and then, you know, uh, ultimately you have the risk of uh, governments, um, uh, either undermining it or banning it or uh, and rogue states, uh, Russian hackers uh, using quantum computers, uh, stealing, stealing the digital keys at some point. So I, for all these reasons, I don't, I don't get it. Uh, I, I'm going to stick with my 5,000 year gold, but it's one of the arguments that comes up at every major gold bottom. So when gold is down, the Bitcoin trolls come out and and we and I hear this over and over again, and then you know then it reverses. So it's a, it's all this sentiment you look for, and part of it is this Bitcoin thing. Fred, um, now now that we've uh, now that we've lost all the Bitcoin crowd from this podcast, we can talk about gold again. <laughs> well, you haven't lost them; they'll be all over me. No, no, yeah, they'll be all over. Yeah, yeah, no, I know, but but they're not listening well, Fred, now. So that's, that's because fine. that's because they do. They have nine thousand pages of research each month. See, they're doing right. more right. work than you. But but Fred, but Fred let, let me ask you because. Um, you know, the gold is something, uh, gold miners, the metals, whichever way you look at that whole complex of precious metals, it's something which a lot of people have a great deal of difficulty trading. You see it all the time, and you've just outlined a lot of that sentiment and the problems. But but when we go back to that first letter that you wrote back in August of 2002, I think you said it was, um, and you listen to what you said there, which, uh, as you said, was all absolutely correct, and here we are 18 years later. That's a long time horizon for any trade. But, but to have that ability to think, these are the problems that I see. Deficits, that's not a short-term problem. That's not a price change in a day or a week or a month. That's a long-term structural problem, as is uh, you know, the, the, the recklessness of the governments. All these problems are long-term problems. And if you have that approach to it and, and you can understand the psychological swings in, in between – Sticking to that long-term framework is quite simply the only real way to be able to trade the precious metals complex. You have to have that long-term view. Exactly right. So, so how, how do you go about explaining to people how, from a mental standpoint, to try and put those two things together, the long-term view with the short-term understanding of market fluctuations? Because from from what I read and what I see and the questions I get at the bottoms, the same as you do, it, it seems such a difficult thing for most people to to understand, to reconcile having a core long-term view and understanding like you do, hey, this is a washout, these happen, it could go lower, but I still, how, how, how can you help people stay on that road? Because we have 0% interest rates, because we have such money printing, it rewards speculators and it, it creates speculators and everyone is a trend follower now because that's what works so if you buy 
It doesn't matter if you buy Zoom at 567 PE or Snowflake at 150 times sales, which are those their numbers right now, or Tesla at 1,100 PE. It doesn't matter. They're going up. And so I get all kinds of comments. Well, I'm making money. You know, that's what counts. You know, the only thing that matters. But I remind people that I've been through these wars. Bill and I have been through these wars. You know, I, I started writing the newsletter before 1987. So I told you I went through that. And then the 1990 decline, and where they were giving tech stocks away, and oh, 2000, oh. where they crashed, where they exploded higher to manic levels, and then collapsed, You're losing 80, 90 percent of their value, and then again in real estate and credit bubble, and uh, and uh, and then another another tech bubble, and here we are again. Um, so, you know, we've been through all these wars. I tried, a lot of people have been with me a long time. I said, let's, let's remember this. You know, we know why, what are we doing? We're trying to protect ourselves. Gold doesn't, doesn't increase in its value at all. It just, it just holds its value relative to a debasement curve. So I try to remind people, I try to remind them, why are we here? You know, why are we here? Now I'll tell them, I said, well, I think that, you know, these miners are up today and that might be an indication that we're getting into a bottom. So this might be a good time to, to be buying in. Um, you know, I, I told Bill uh, uh, that uh, in the midst of all of the panic and the phone calls and the emails and everything else this week, I got an email from Felix Zuloff. And, uh, you know, feel, I was one of the great things about being on the Barron's Roundtable for a decade was I got to meet some really great investors. I mean, really great long-term investors. Yeah. John Neff, for example. Uh, you know, Felix Zuloff, one of the most brilliant guys I've ever met on Wall Street. Uh, you know, Bill Gross, a really thoughtful guy. Uh, you know, Mark, Mark Farber, historical um, genius, I think. He has, he has such great knowledge of, of, of uh, financial history. But anyways, Felix is one of my favorites of all of them. He, he, I'd say he is my favorite. And so he got, I got an email out of the blue from him, and, and he said that, now I already knew, I, I read his stuff uh, intently. I already knew that he, his cycles are telling them we we're likely to be at a, a, a near a bottom, at least an intermediate bottom, uh, in early December. And that kind of fits also with seasonality. The best seasonality for gold, the best, the best six weeks of the whole year uh, starts in mid-December and goes to January, where in the last seven years it's up every year. Double it's usually in the gold stocks. Um, so I know that that's behind us as well. And he, he, he sent this email and in the midst of all this panic, and he was the one guy that said, you know what? Those, he asked me, well, what gold stock should I be buying? <laughs> now, that's what you should be doing, right? Exactly right. That's what you should be doing. There, but when he said that, it gave me confidence that I was on the right path. And another thing, too, was, it was interesting, Grant, I've loved so many of your interviews, but one of the most favorite one was with Felix. You yeah. went down yeah. to Naples with him several years ago, and one of the things that stood out. There was a whole bunch of things. I was taking notes and everything. Uh, one of them was, he said that he has a core group of people, maybe three or four, that he's been with for decades that are sounding boards for them, for him. And they think like he does, uh, and, and they help each other. And it was funny because, you know, I have had the same group of people, say the same number, three or four core people. And, you know, Bill is one of those. We've been dealing with each other for 25 years now and you're one of the core three or four that i talk to all the time and you know we we think alike uh, we we know we're not going to get really emotional that 
if he sees something or I see something, usually we both see it at the same time. A lot of times we do the same trades uh, without even talking about it. Uh, it's incredible how, how in a very niche kind of trades and we've just done the same ones at the same time and we hadn't even mentioned it together. Uh, we say we're on the same line, but we can also help each other. Uh, and even, you know, I consider myself a pretty tough investor, right? A long-term value investor. Um, and that uh, doesn't get, doesn't get uh, uh, shaken very much. But I, even I need the help, that kind of help, to know that there are other people that think like I do. So if Felix thinking that should be buying right now, well, yeah, that's a great sign that we're near the near a, a real bottom. Uh, well, what my group of people that I speak to all the time, we are all on the same wavelength here. Now, the other people I have to say, you know, I, I try to give them the history. I said, what are we trying to do here? You know, we go back to, we're trying to protect ourselves against against this debasement. That's not changing. We are trying, that's only getting worse. It's worse and worse and worse and worse. The, def, the deficits are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And if you look forward to next year, they don't look like they're good. We're gonna have, we'll be at 30 trillion within a year or two, for mm -hmm. sure. Uh, so it, we have to continue to do this. So what I try to do is bring the historical perspective to people and, and say, what are we trying to do here? They may be all excited about what's happening, and they are oftentimes, or what's happening in the last day, hours, minutes, weeks, but, I try to bring them back to what you're trying to do. And the people I deal with, I try to deal with are value investors like me who are in this thing for the long term. Now, at first I was in it to grow my assets. Now I'm older, now I'm in it to protect my assets. And even in, 2000, in 2002, I was protecting assets. I had made a whole bunch of money in tech. And I was trying to protect that from the debasement that I saw would occur. And fortunately, everything's grown since then because the gold market has been a good place to be. And uh, gold stocks can do really, really well. And they also get hammered. Uh, you know, we had a 1,600% run in that 2000 period. So that was quite good. And then, of course, there was a collapse in, in, the, in, the, in the bear market. Um, but, um, uh, you know, I try to, bring try to bring people down, back away from the screens, from all the emotion, and say, this is what we're trying to do. And that usually works for people who, 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 aren't, who aren't off the wall. Well, so speaking of gold stocks, how about if we walk through two or three that you like and and give people uh, you maybe you can um, describe, you know, why you like them and, you know, the sort of value that you see. Um, and because and I think a lot of people don't really understand or haven't quite come to grips with how strong the underlying uh, financial statements are, both in income, ca cash flow, dividends. And so they're, they're in such a good position as, as businesses right now that if you marry that with a higher gold price, you know, they could see a lot of appreciation. But I think I've not seen anywhere where anyone's actually talked about, well, here's an example of how cheap they are and why I like them. So, so maybe you could pick uh, two or three and, just, and give us a... Well, first of all, just to start off, um... We had that we had that great run, sixteen hundred percent run, and then we had a great crash. And in, in, in the juniors, it was ninety percent that kind of decline, and and some of it was deserved. I mean, of course, the gold, price the price of gold is, determines the valuations of a lot of these gold miners. Um, but all, in addition to that, uh, there were uh, some um, circumstances that weren't their fault. But we had also had a, Chinese were coming out of that great recession, and they were. You know, spending $40 trillion in building infrastructure, and they drove up the price of commodities. 
So the price of oil went crazy and the price of uh, steel went up and all of that. So, so the costs, their input costs went up. In addition to that, as happens in with every group, I mean, certainly in tech, they went crazy in 2000, they're going crazy now and they're spending and some of the stuff they're doing, some of the antics they're doing. But in, at that time, gold market had gone up a lot, had gone up to 1900, they were filling their oats and they uh, made a lot of, the managements have made, a lot of them made a lot of bad decisions. And uh, they acquired companies at high valuations and they tried to expand, um, uh, assuming the price of gold would be very high. And as a result of that, uh, the stocks collapsed and investors just, the other thing to remember is, is that most investors who get into that market, the gold market, get in at the end, they always do. Mm, yeah. And so they get yeah. absolutely killed. So we're talking now, you know, people, who, my people, they don't, we don't do that, but most people come in then. So when, when the press is talking about, you know, the next level of gold, how high it's going to go, that's when they're piling in. So they really got burned. It was terrible. And there's a distaste in there still for <laughs> gold stocks. Now, the price of gold has gone up a lot here. Um, we went, you know, we bottomed in 2011, I mean, 2015 at 1050, we bottomed again at 1180 in 2018, we had a big run. Um, this year alone, we went from 1500 to, you know, up to 2000, currently 1800 or so. Um, but as a result of, the difficult times these managements went through and many of all the ones that made the bad decisions are all gone. All those managements were turned out. It's only the guys that didn't uh, make the wrong decisions are still CEOs and CFOs. So they've all been turned out uh, and they are all very disciplined now. And you hear that word over and over again. I talk about listening to conference calls in tech while I do the same thing for the gold miners. I listen to all those gold mining uh, conference calls, and, uh, and 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 also when they go to uh, you know Denver Gold Forum, those kind of things. Their their various utterances, and they all are saying the same thing. We know the industry made a big mistake. We're not going to repeat it. Our disi we're disciplined now. We're not going to use high level uh, gold prices uh, uh, to make, base our decisions on expansion. We're going to grow. Where if, if, if money they aren't even going production and they're not, they don't have any intention to, like Newmont and, and, uh, and uh, Barrick, they're not growing production, but they're going to grow cash flow, they're going to grow earnings, and they've been doing that, uh, particularly this year. The problem is, is that uh, it takes a long time to, to get that bitter taste out of, your, out of investors' mouths, and they haven't seen the big numbers. They didn't see it uh, in the first half of this year because of COVID. So uh, a lot of the industry temporarily got shut down and production levels fell. Uh, I know in Pan American, eight of, you know, all, almost all of their mines were shut. Yeah. And in Agnico's case, for a time, eight of nine were shut. Now, it didn't last very long because governments realized how important these, uh, these companies were for the individual countries. They provide lots of revenues and tax revenues particularly. Uh, so it didn't last long, but really the first quarter that we could see how, the benefits of all this fiscal discipline, the benefits of the higher prices. Uh, it, we're seeing right now, the last quarter, the average realized gold price was $1,900, a little over $1,900. The cost, the all-in sustaining cost, AISC is what they call it, 
was a little, or, or just around $1,000. That was nine, over $900 of margin for these miners. And that means cash flow and earnings and everything else. Uh, now, that's the highest that the industry has ever seen. Uh, by a lot, we're talking, we're talking 40 to 45% higher than what the highest margins were. The highest margins were around $640 in 2011. And now we're, we were over 900. Now, even at 1800 gold here, we're still $800. Mm -hmm. So there's still, so you might say, oh, the gold market is crash and all of this. Well, it's not gonna affect their numbers that much. So, so the third quarter numbers, which were just reported. Right. And the gold peaked right then too. They didn't even have any time to enjoy it because you know, we- <laughs> No kidding. <laughs> numbers just came out at the end of end of July, early August, and that's when gold started going down on August 3rd or whatever it was. So there's been, so there's no time. There was this, they, they all reported these enormous numbers. I mean, just enormous. Uh, and they were all raising their dividends massively. Uh, you know, for example, Goldcore, I mean, Barrick has, GOLD has, increased their dividend now three times, right? Uh, Newmont increased their dividend by 79% in the early part of the year and 60% last quarter. So now they have almost a 3% yield. Uh, but they're, they, they were all reporting record numbers. Pierre Lassonde, who was an industry legend, the gold, said that this is the be these are the best industry conditions that have ever been yeah. for gold miners. And he's right. Uh, Sean Boyd, uh, uh, you know, well thought of, one of the top uh, CEOs in the mine, in the mining of uh, CEO of Agnico, said that he the only time he's seen the kind of money that's being generated by these miners was in 1970s, and even then he wasn't in it. He was a, he was an auditor Ernst Young uh, before, but he was auditing Agnico, and um, he saw these kinds of numbers, and that's when the miners went crazy, right? They went crazy because they were putting up these massive numbers. Now, just to take Agnico for example, um, they earned, and Agnico, by the way, is a, considered to be a premier gold miner that deserves a high multiple because of the location of its mines. And its mines are only in the best parts of the world, North America, and they have one in Finland, which is a great place to be in Europe. So they, they deserve a premium. Uh, also in Agnico's case, uh, they made very good decisions to that downturn. They didn't overexpand and they were able to buy small fill-in fill properties at very low prices at the bottom. He did it perfectly. So it usually gets a premium, a big premium. So if we look at that right now, um, they earned uh, close to 80 cents in that, in that quarter. Uh, and uh, that was up 122% year over year. Okay, uh, they um, they hiked their dividend seventy five percent. They had near record production, um, and that's with some things that are, were kind of depressed in the quarter. There, there are new mines. They have some new mines that are in Nunavut that are coming out that they're ramping up. And one of them is Meliodine, with a very high grade, low cost mine at high grades of nearly eight grams per ton, which is very high for the industry. You know, it's closer to one on average. Um, but this, this one was only running at 4,100 tons in the quarter because of some planned shutdowns. And in Q4 though, coming up, it's gonna be up to 4,600 tons per, per day uh, of mining. So it's going to get better as it go forward. Well, we looked at, if you look at the analyst estimates and they're pretty conservative, they're looking at $4.07 for 2021. Well, the stock is 60 something, it's a 15 PE. 
a 15 PE for the for what is the premier uh, gold stock with the best locations, the best management, and everything else. This is not Shopify at uh, you know 500 PE or any of these crazy things or you know uh, Atlassian, one of the tech companies, uh, well, one I'm short right now with 30 times sales, falling earnings. 200, 200 times PE, this is 15, okay? And that's the highest one. I have a list of six, seven names right here. And while and, and while you're waiting, they're at least going to pay you 2%. And you're paying right. 2%. And in Newmont's case, it's 3%. And they're, those dividends are all rising because of the massive amount of cash flow they have at these levels. So that's the highest one uh, I have. But I look at some of these other ones, at Alamos, for example. That one is selling below net asset value. Its earnings were only up 150% last quarter. Next year, they're expected to be up 80%. And these should be 100 PEs if you're in the tech world, right? What's the PE on that? 11. 11. They're supposed to earn 72 cents and it's an $8 stock. 11. Now, back uh, a few years ago, that was a 40 PE on Alamos. It was a $20 stock and it earned a lot less. Yeah. Right? Uh, uh, you know, a new one mining. That's a 12 PE. They're supposed to earn $4.51. They just had their best quarter in history. I told you about the dividends. The cash flow is enormous. Uh, their dividend is based upon uh, a, a dividend policy. It depends on cash flow. Uh, that $2 and that $1.60 per share they're getting is based upon a $1,500 price. At $1,800, it could be anywhere from $220 to $240. So another 50% increase. They have cash coming out of these companies' ears. Most of them have paid down their debts. Uh, uh, Barrick has gone from 14. In 2012, Barrick had, and they, they had made a lot of mistakes. They, they had, they're an example of a company that, ex, that had overexpanded and made some bad acquisitions. They had $14 billion of debt. It's now down to 400 million, right? And they're increasing the dividends. Every one of these companies, uh, almost increased their a dividend by 33% and said there's room for further increases. They're all going to go higher, even at $1,800. Not, And I think this is probably close to the low. We'll be going back up again. Um, there's one that Bill and I like, uh, Pretium. Uh, that's selling below net asset value. Uh, it blew away its earnings numbers. It has It's supposed to earn $1.23, and I think that's low based upon the estimates. That's a 9 PE, and they're supposed to grow 40% next year. A Kirkland Lake, 9 PE, supposed to go 25% next year. Um, and and all of these companies are, are putting up, you know, in Kirkland's case, it was record cash flow. Uh, you know, in, in, in Pretium's case, they, 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 they've been paying down their debt as well. It was, they've only been in business uh, operating in terms of uh, selling gold for a little over two years. They've already generated $500 million in cash. They've taken that construction debt from $550 million down to $350 million. And they have $175 million in cash on their balance sheet, more than they, they think they need. Within two years, that whole construction debt is going to be paid off if gold prices hold at this level. And then they're going to probably start paying dividends. Uh, yet this thing sells with high growth. Uh, this thing sells at a 9 PE. I'm, you know, if I hadn't seen this before, I've seen it in tech where they threw everything out in 1990. Uh, in 2002, things were cheap. In 2000, and I bought in 2002 in October, and I bought in 2008 in October. Uh, if I hadn't seen this kind of craziness before, I'd say, well, it's not possible, but but it is. 
and 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 that's uh, that's where we are here. It is a, it, so even though the price of gold is up a lot, these miners are not. Right. If you look at the is what they call the Huey to gold ratio. It's the gold stocks to gold ratio. Currently, it's about 0.16. Well, during the 2000s time frame, that would always be above during most of that bull market, always above 0.5 or three times higher. Right. So we have the highest margins, the highest cash flows, we got the huge dividend increases, earnings, huge earnings growth, and these things are selling- At, at the lowest valuations they've yes. ever sold at. And so as a value buyer, this is for me. I also bought into some energy stocks, which I won't get into, because those were the cheapest they've been at in uh, ever, in some cases. I mean, the whole industry ever. And I mean, I, I mean, some of the best companies like Chevron are paying 7% dividends in a 0% world. Uh, Exxon, I bought some at an 11% dividend there. Now, just this is what you do as a value investor. You, you buy fear. You buy maximum pessimism. You buy low valuations. You don't buy Apple at $2 billion after it's run up, after it's tripled on no growth. That's a T, not a B, Fred. <laughs> so T, that's right. <laughs> the numbers, you know, the numbers. Pretty soon only G. Pretty soon only G. Gazillion. The gazillion. Uh, so here we are. Here we are with all these companies, and uh, and they're disciplined. Now, some some point down the road, some of these managements might get out of control and over overexpand again. But there's no sense that's going to happen here at all. They are all marching to the same drummer at this point. And one thing that uh, you, in that compendium of facts you shared. Um, you, you left out something that I know is important to you, and that is what you what you didn't say was that um, the companies that you're talking about, for the most part, have properties in what we would consider to be safe jurisdictions. So it's one thing if a company's cheap because all their mines are, say, in Zimbabwe, but if it's cheap and it's in they're in Canada or America or another, you know. Well, the first litmus test for me is location, location, location for these. I've seen too many problems. Um, you know, they might have the greatest, the highest grade mine or whatever, but if it's in Venezuela, it doesn't do you much good or Zimbabwe. Right. So there's a whole list of company countries that I just will not uh, buy into if that's where their, their mine locations are. And it really comes down to just not too many. Uh, if they're in Australia, if they're in the U.S., Mexico may be okay. Uh, certainly Europe, there aren't many mines in Europe, Northern Europe, I should say, not so good in Greece or Turkey or that kind of thing. Um, but most of much of the world I will not participate in. So these companies should have not only these good managements, right? All of these, with the exception of Barrick, which has some African, but they've been able. Mark Bristow has been very able to do business there, and and uh, he also has a lot of other assets outside of uh, outside of Africa. But all of the companies that I own are in the best located places. So. Uh, where, you know, where rule of law is respected, they will not be expropriated, they will not be taxed to death. Uh, and, and, and so these companies should be selling at the highest multiples. And in most cases with the best management, these are the best management teams. Right. These should be, these should be, these should be your Apple's, Amazon, these should be the FANG stocks of the gold world, yet they're selling at single digits and some of them below net asset value. And in addition, another point um, that I know is important to you is that the names you mentioned, they all have, because of what they've done in the last group of years, have growth ahead of them that's locked in place. They don't have to acquire or do anything different. So it's not just a static snapshot of these being cheap. 
they have growth away from the price of gold itself. Correct. Absolutely. With the exception of Newmont and Barrick, and I think there is some growth there too, because they get, they get very conservative forecasts that don't include some of the, their projects that they have. I think there's some growth there too, particularly in Newmont. But at Agnico, for example, they're in a growth phase. They've spent all the capital that right. they needed to to bring up these new mines. And so they're going to be growing production by 20% in the next couple of years here. So even if the price of gold doesn't go anywhere, you're still going to get the benefit of that. And what that does too is it brings their costs down. The higher your production, they all they all expect to have. I mean, Agnico particularly is go, expects their costs to come down as their production and sales go up. That's one. Alamos, every one of their mines, they have three mines, uh, all in good locations. The two the the two that are their what they call flagship mines are both in Canada, best location possible. Um, one of which uh, just finished a major multi-year expansion uh, where they went underground and they tied the mines in and they didn't get the benefit of that in the third quarter because they were shut down for the month of July, but they will in Q4. In fact, that young Davidson mine is going to increase their production by 42% from Q3 to Q4. Uh, and, and again, lower cost, higher grades there. And then they have this island uh, pro uh, property right that is just enormous and just keeps growing. And, and they only bought that a couple of years ago. And it is already, the net asset value is already double the price of what they paid. Talk about buying low, right? Double the price. And that is huge, high grade, 15, 20 grams. You know, it's just these crazy numbers for, for, for low cost, you know, not a thousand, we're talking, you know, $500 or something like that in, in costs at, uh, at, at, at Island. And they have an expansion program. Uh, going on that will will increase their production by 72% at island. So there is a even their even their Mexican operation, which is much smaller, also has a growth profile. All of that they're going to be growing here. Um, you have uh, you have uh, uh, another one is uh, Pretium, which uh, has a lot of upside from the um, through, through the drill bit because they have so much correct, ground that huge, they massive land package. Um, but in addition to that, they're not they're not mining as much as they could right, right. because they're developing the mine. Uh, one of the problems with the prior management at Pretium was that their forecasts were not good and they kept missing numbers. And these guys don't look like they're going to miss numbers. Uh, but uh, as a result of them being conservative, they're also opening up the mine, they're developing the mine, and they're running uh, less tonnage uh, per day than they will be. They're permitted and that they can. And so they're trying to get a good hand on the grant, the grade there, and uh, but that's going to increase. So they're going to grow too, just because their production's going to grow and say next year. This this whole building out and build, they're also building an inventory, so they will have some flexibility. That's going to be completed uh, by Q3 of 2021, and so you're going to see production growth just from that mine. In addition to that, they have all of these. Um, this huge land package. They have, they have a, a location that's in Esquina, which is uh, was a very good mining area. Uh, Hanging Glacier Zone, uh, Koopa Zone, all these various zones where they think that there's a lot of gold, uh, and none of that's reflected in the in the price of the stock. So yeah, most of these most of these are growth companies too. Like I said, without with the exception of the two biggest miners. So Fred, I, 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 am I to assume that you're not worried about uh, mining gold on asteroids? Depression the price at this point. <laughs> no, this is the, but these are the kinds of stories you'll hear right now. It's like, right. you know, no, we, look, we, it's the, the biggest story is, and a lot of these managements talk about it, Bristow does, 
uh, is uh, the lack of of supply, not not uh, not too much supply. Um, you know, all these years that we went through this downturn, uh, exploration was cut dramatically, and uh, and you just saw that it's very difficult. It takes a decade to bring up a mine. You can see how difficult it is. We just right. this just this week, Pebble, which is the largest, uh, you know, the largest yeah. in North America, got shut but shut by the Corps of Engineers. That's in the U.S. Never mind what what's going on elsewhere. It's difficult environmentally. Uh, there's a lot of environmentalists that don't like this stuff. Although these companies run the best, uh, they, they you know they're they're really good at reforestation and, and cleanliness and yeah. From an ESG standpoint, they all do well. Yeah. Newmont Mining got the number one rating for uh, ESG for all mining companies here just a week or so ago. So these are the best of them. Um, but it's so difficult, and and many of these mining, well, these these research houses as well as some of these mining CEOs are saying that we've reached peak gold, that uh, we're because there's been such a lack of exploration and development, and there aren't any. The other thing is, is grades have come down from what was 10 grams per ton all the way down to right. one, a little yeah. more than one. Yeah. It's harder to find good grades, and if they are, if you can find them, they're in bad locations usually. Uh, and then it takes a decade to bring up. So um, one thing I didn't talk about was the various phases of a gold bull market or any bull market. And usually uh, it goes uh, in a series of waves, in four waves. And the first wave is when Bill, you, Bill, me, and Grant are in it, okay? It's, <laughs> they call it a stealth phase. And then, and then we get some of this, they call it smart money that comes in. Well, we've seen the smart money come in. We've seen Cooperman. He's never owned, he doesn't ever, ever go on gold. We saw Sam Zell, the leading Zell, real, yeah. real estate guy, go into gold for the first time ever. Never mind the Tudor Jones, the Rucker Millers, all of those guys have poured into gold, big positions in gold. Dalio, they also, you have to have gold. You have to have gold. Now, Dalio says you can't own cash here. Well, yes, yeah. you can't own cash. Now, even Buffett, the biggest gold hater of them all. Yes. Nope. He puked already. I no, he didn't. Did. He, didn't. he still has partial, but that was offset by no, Dalio. Yeah. just as much as he sold. That was, uh, sorry, Fred, that was set off by who? Druckenmiller bought as much as oh, right. Buffett sold right. last month. But, right. Uh, right. but yes, right. He, even, he, even he, you know, who hates gold, supposedly dabbled in it a little bit at least. So all these billionaires, and they call that the smart money, comes in. The next phase is uh, is when when institutional money comes in. And, you know, Sean Boyd of Agnico talks about you know, just beginning to see them come in. They started with the European investors. Now he's starting to see U.S. Western investors. Western investors used to, in the 70s, they had five to 7% of their assets in gold. Yep. Now it's under one. You know, most of them have none. And we, you know, we heard, uh, we heard that Wilshire, one of the largest pension consultants that advises these institutions, they, they're now advising their, they're now advising the funds to have a 5% position. Um, but this is just beginning. The institutional, and, and that's what John Boyd is starting to see. All of a sudden, he, they had nothing on their calendar. They would go to these, they would go to these, uh, these conferences and there would be nobody there. They, they have empty spaces, slots in their calendar. Now they're getting all kinds of calls, finally. And then finally, the last real, well, there are two phases, but the, then the public comes in. And right now the public is enamored of FANG. They are enamored of Zoom and Tesla and Shopify and all of that stuff and marijuana stocks and things I don't cover. Um, right now, that's, that's, that's where they're at. Uh, but as, uh, as these gold stocks start to do well, and they are doing well, and with the numbers I'm talking about, they should do well, especially if the gold price holds up here as they increase dividends and 
and, and the cash flows go up and their earnings are come out and momentum funds start to get invested in them a little bit, um, it'll start to attract the public. And that's when you get your blow off phase. And we aren't anywhere near that. And then at the end, and then the last phase is when it called collapses at some point. And I don't know when that'll happen, but uh, we, we're at the very early stages of this. We only have the us weirdos that are in it and the, the billionaires are in it and a small number of institutions. And that's where we are in the various phases of this bull market. That is a pretty compelling uh, exploration of the landscape that uh, you've given us both from a macro and the gold standpoint and the, and the micro and the whole thing. I mean, I kind of get revved up just hearing you talk about it. And I already know the story. <laughs> That's why we hold each other's hands. In case we forget, we can remind each other. <laughs> uh, well, um, Fred, it's been great of, of you to share all of your time with us. Um, I know it's pretty valuable. Uh, you've answered all the important points that I had, Grandis, or anything that. Yeah, no, it's it's yeah, you you you're making the uh, the gold mining shares look like the biggest Black Friday bargain of them all. I mean, people should be because they are. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, but, but it's, I've just got one more question, Fred. I'd love to just get your take on, and that and that is, I, I know you've laid out that roadmap and the ways, but but what do you think it takes to change that? institutional mentality around gold because I, I know at the fringes it's starting and, I, and I've heard that as well but d does it need to be the collapse of something else C can they come to gold at the same time all this madness is going on or will they only really do it once this whole thing implodes well I think part of it is just putting up numbers more than just before yeah. one quarter yeah. I mean that's the problem is this is very early so we've had one quarter of tremendous numbers and you know you need to see a history. Um, I think, you know, uh, some old performance would help. Right now, we had started to get build some some institutional, but I'm sure right now they have no interest at the moment, you know, in, in this down moment. But when it returns again, and maybe it is now, uh, then they, they'll start to come in. Um, you know, it just popularity builds with success. And that's when the pension consultants start to tell you, you need to be involved in this. I think also you're seeing a shift here you know, there's been a long period of time where growth has outperformed value. These are value stocks, energy, banks. These are all, the other, they're hated too, and they're down as well. I don't follow banks, but I know that, know some people that think that they're, they're very attractive at these levels. And I know the energy stocks are, and some other areas. Uh, all these favorites that have been favorites for now a very long time, many years, since you can make the case for 20 years, really, since the beginning, from one, from the beginning of, to, or, or even longer. Um, but certainly the FANG stocks, um, they go through periods where they get hammered a lot, but they are, they've been in favor for a long time. And particularly here, the last 10 years, they've, been, uh, they've, they've had tremendous performance and they're all overvalued and overloved. But if you look at them, you say, well, how far are they gonna push Apple when it's two trillion <laughs> and it doesn't grow very much and now government regulators are looking hard at them. And you saw where that, you know, one of the places where they do get any growth from is from their service business. And, you know, their Apple store where they charge all the developers 30%. Well, just last week, I think it was last week, they had to cut that to 15%. Yeah. Well, that's because of pressure. You know, that's, they're, they're almost a monopoly there in the US certainly, they're, not, they're only fourth largest cell phone matter in the world, but in the US, they're pretty dominant. They are dominant. And so they've been using that position to extract a lot of money from people. And, and uh, uh, you know, 
throughout the world now, there, there's a, a sentiment turning against the bank stocks. Facebook for its privacy, Google, uh, you know, whether it's political issues, uh, uh, but there's a lot of people who think that they're too big and too powerful. Uh, and, uh, and so the European uh, governments are leading the charge against them. They're threatening higher taxes. They're threatening to break them up. Uh, certainly in the US, uh, uh, the Justice Department is looking hard at Google right now. They're trying to accelerate the case, Facebook as well. Um, so, there, so, so it might be that the growth possibilities for these FANG stocks are over, for the stocks. They're too high. Um, the regular, regulators have them in their sights. Um, they might get broken up. Uh, you know, I, Google's growth doesn't come from search, it comes from YouTube. Facebook's growth doesn't come from Facebook, it comes from WhatsApp and that's, you know, those kind of things. And if they can't, if they can't acquire uh, and use that platform that they have to acquire to grow, then the growth rate goes away and, and people become over time less enamored with them. And maybe they fall hard, maybe they don't. In a money printing world, that's one thing that's different here is that all stocks, that's why I'm not shorting uh, in any way here like I was in 2000 or even in 2008. In the money printing world, everything continue to, can, can go up nominally, but they might start to underperform as they are recently in the last few weeks, months, these stocks are underperforming and the value stocks are starting to perform. If that goes, if that is a trend that is that is happening here where you go back to value again, and this is, it goes and swings back and forth. If we're going back to value, then these tech stocks are not going to be in favor anymore, but the value stocks are, and these gold stocks are as valuable as anything. And then the institutions shift into there as well. Right now, everybody piles into the, uh, into the, uh, into these uh, stocks, but if the momentum ends, then some of the money will come up. Well, that was a brilliant summation of the, of the, un, um, the unbelievably, attractive case for uh, metals and mining that we have prospectively. So Fred, if people have been listening and would like to be able to find out what the other 12 or 13 uh, mining names you like are and want to stay abreast of uh, technology as well, um, uh, how would they go about um, learning more or, or finding your service? For anyone foolish enough to not already subscribe. <laughs> well, I'm on Twitter for one. I tweet fairly regularly, but not that often. I mean, not not all the all the time. Um, so during the during the period of time when I'm not writing a letter, well, there isn't a letter every month. I'm on Twitter, and that is at h t s f hickey h i c k e y. Um, if you want to, if you're interested in the newsletter, um, you can get the details uh, by sending an email. To um, the high tech strategist at yahoo.com. It's the high tech strategist, just like it sounds. Right. And and tell them just just because I think this is like the greatest deal on the planet. Would you tell them the princely sum that this commands? Oh uh, well, it depends if it's email. I think it's one hundred and fifty dollars. Dirt cheap. When we first met back in nineteen ninety five, I think the newsletter was like ninety bucks. And the first thing yeah. I told you is you need to raise your prices. Well, it's it started. <laughs> It started 34 years ago at $5, so that was a better bargain. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks a lot for your time, Fred. That was absolutely spectacular. Frank, I don't think you. we could have picked a better day to do it. And no. so uh, really great that you freed up some time to do this. So thanks yeah, a lot. Really appreciate it, Fred. Thanks a lot. I hope to see you soon. Take care. Thank you. Bye. You know, the, the beauty of, of kind of our game plan with these um, 
sort of sem- semi-random nature of this is it sort of allows us to kind of wait and do things where we want to. And I don't know if we're lucky enough to pick the day in the metals complex that is uh, the, the best day to buy. But um, it's sort of we're fortunate to be able to try to time things to some degree. And, and hopefully this will turn out to be uh, um, close to a good opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the setup the setup is great, which is why I was so excited to get Fred on right now. I mean, we've been we've been you know wanted to have Fred on for some time now, and we've we've had a couple of close misses when we we could have had him on before, and things just didn't line up when we're trying to get three of us all on, on the same page. But this uh, this could be very serendipitous indeed. It, you know, it, it's it's so fascinating to me, but when you listen to Fred talk about this stuff the way he does, um, that that long term mindset, uh, he he. he Investing in precious metals is such a simple thing that people make so difficult. And and Fred has this way of simplifying it and and I think for me explaining really how you ought to think about this thing and how you the people that come in because they think they're going to get rich quick tend to be the ones who get carried out in body bags in this thing, Correct. unfortunately, because that's just the nature of the beast. But if you if you come at this thing with the mindset like Fred's and understand the long term reasons why you want to be in this space, as he said, I just want to protect my wealth. It just makes everything that follows that much easier to get your head around the the, the swings, the, the the crazy stuff that goes on, the the washouts, all that stuff just becomes so much easier to handle if you're not just fixated on the price and looking every day going, why aren't they going up today? Why are they going down today? Well, I think the other part of it is um, that, as I mentioned briefly, uh, I've been thinking more about this, but I mean, gold is still a real market. I mean. Yes, there's guys play games with PLs. There's a lot of spoofing and and jamming the market both directions, but it is still a free market, which obviously no bond market is, and the yep. equity market really isn't either because it's sort of pinned by the bond market and the and the QE that's done there and the, the passive stuff and the options and all that. So um, I think people look at the stock market and say, "Well, geez, it's bulletproof. Nothing takes it down. It's stupidly priced. We all know that." And then there's this thing over here called gold, which ought to be doing better, and it doesn't, and it just freaks people out. And sometimes, because you can't really so hard to gain an edge in gold itself, you, you know, sometimes the noise level swamps the fundamentals, which was why I was anxious yes. to cover them. And quite frankly, Fred made an excellent point that I hadn't even thought of until I heard him say it, and that was. You know, I think a lot of us thought this year when, when gold did what it did, we were going to start to see real numbers out of these companies. And regretfully, you know, the, the COVID came along and they had to shut mine. So you didn't really see that in Q1 yeah. and 2. And they only got them out like right the week of the election when the gold market reversed for whatever reason it did. Yeah. So I don't think people have really gotten their heads around how well these companies are set up. So I'm really glad that we got to dive into that a little bit because that yeah, was a no. really good point. It's, it's so true, and and you know his his points about the the management and how yes they they do finally seem to understand what not to do you know because yes. this is the, 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 we know the complexities around running building and finding first then building a mine and running it um, uh, and over the years they've had this extraordinary habit of taking that complexity and adding more onto it and screwing things up in every way possible. But they, they, they do seem to certainly for the time being to have found some religion, which, which can only be another positive, I think. Well, you know, I was the director of Pan American yeah. uh, silver for, uh, I don't know, maybe 15 years. I left the board in 12 
And I had another friend of mine who's pretty famous. and uh, People don't know who he is, but he's pretty famous anyway. Uh, and he was on the board with me for a while. And he said, gosh, these companies never really make any money. And, you know, back then they didn't. And, of course, we had the big cost squeeze in the, in the last upcycle and bad decisions. But, I mean, this is really the perfect storm, both from a micro bottoms up standpoint and a macro overview. And I think that's perhaps also what frustrates some of us. It's like, my God, I mean, this is such a spectacular opportunity and a party just won't really get started. And, yep. and, and every time it starts to get easy, you get the shovel in the face. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. It's like a Tom and Jerry cartoon. Yeah, exactly. Well, look, I mean, it's, uh, I, I think that timing is, is going to prove to be very good with this. I'd be fascinating to watch what happens next. Um, you know, all, all that I guess remains is, is for us to, uh, to uh, uh, apologize to the Bitcoin lovers out there who are now <laughs> drowning their sorrows after yeah. hearing Fred take it down. Well, they're, they're certainly mad at us, that's for sure. Yeah, I know. Well, that's, uh, that, that's the, the cost of doing business, unfortunately. To thank you guys out there for listening to The End Game, we really appreciate every one of you and uh, thank you for all the reviews um, and the comments you've left. Um, don't stop doing that. It, it really does continue to help us uh, find more people to stumble across the podcast and listen to it. Um, we will be back in uh, who knows how long, but we'll be back with someone else to talk to in the near future, I'm pretty sure. In the meantime, uh, you can follow me on Twitter, should you wish to do so. You'll find me at TTMYGH. And I'm at FleckCap. He's still FleckCap, the one and only. Bill, thank you, mate. That was a lot of fun. We'll sure do it again was. soon. All right, great. Take care. Nothing we discussed during the end game should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets.